God of holy surprises, infuse us with your wild wonder. Attune our hearts to all the ways you dance through the world, from the ordinary to the sublime. Sustain us in the daily practice of opening our eyes to grace. Expand our imaginations to see more deeply and more widely than before. Align us with all the ways you are at work, always extending a new vision when all seems shut down. Help us to experience the eruption of seeds in springtime and that abundant growth as a sign of your generous love. Inspire us to begin again and again. Thank you. 
gather. Welcome to church. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, before we get started with our teaching, we're going to do like we always do and participate in our confession of faith. Uh, our confession of faith is an open declaration of the kind of faith we want to have and really the kind of community uh, we want to be. And so I'll say this confession of faith on our behalf and then say a prayer for us. Gather, this is the faith we are seeking. We are seeking an expansive faith. We believe our theological system should always be growing wider and including more. We are seeking a faith rooted in the person and the practice of Jesus. We believe Jesus is God and is worthy of our worship and our imitation. We are seeking a faith built on a foundation of theological minimalism. We believe in holding tight to the first things of faith and living open-handed with the rest. We are seeking a faith marked by curiosity. We believe we should always have more questions than we do answers. And we are seeking a faith filled with compassion. We believe our beliefs are never more important than the person right in front of us. So gather as we prepare to open the scriptures, let's pray together. God, we are here today as seekers, not seeking answers, but seeking wisdom, not seeking doctrine, but seeking a way of life inspired by the radical love of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we are uh, wrapping up our teaching. I'm still just getting all my stuff settled here. I'm sorry. That's my fault. Got a lot of technology happening up here that I still haven't really figured out after two years of filming. Um, we are wrapping up our several-week conversation on our gospel proclamation and uh, what it means to live inside this identity as created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. I wonder if you have that memorized yet. Created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. Come on. Created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. I've told you over and over again, I want this to get stuck in your head. I want this to mark you in a way that it comes up inside of you when you start to feel tension against it, right? When you are sitting in traffic about to lose your mind, when you have a hard moment with your partner, that you start to remind yourself who you are and who they are, just automatically created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. Today, we're going to have a conversation about living and being free, and our last couple weeks have been pretty theologically heavy. And so uh, today I thought that we could do that again uh, because I have been enjoying myself. And so today we're going to talk about things like the Old Testament law and sin. It's going to be exciting. Don't pause your video. And uh, you, uh, you may not have been looking for that today, but I'm excited to talk about it. And ultimately, I think all of it is about us living and being Free, And so we're, we're going to look at the three ways the New Testament uh, gives us to frame and think about our freedom, how we're supposed to live into this freedom. And the Bible does speak, of course, to freedom in a spiritual sense, freedom from sin. But we, we can't talk about that spiritual freedom without first acknowledging the real physical, bodily, here and now freedom that God desires for us and that God speaks to in the scriptures. The freedom that God wants for us, the freedom that God desires all of us to live into is holistic. It's fully integrated. It is comprehensive. God wants us, you, everyone to be free, like bodily, physically free. So what Jesus says in Luke chapter four, he shows up to the synagogue on the Sabbath to read from a scroll. It's a common practice because he is a Jewish rabbi. But this day he reads from Isaiah 61 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolls up the scroll, looks out at the people gathered in the synagogue and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus is saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? Not Isaiah, me. And this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. That's what Jesus is here to do. This isn't a metaphorical prisoner. This isn't the spiritually oppressed. This is here and now liberation for the for for uh, here and now liberation from political, social, economic, and religious subjugation. Right? Jesus is reminding us that no one is made to live bound. No one is made to live shackled. No one is made to live imprisoned. No one in any circumstance is meant to live inside oppressive systems or relationships. This includes uh, the more than 10,000 inmates living down the street from us in the Harris County Jail. They were not created to live imprisoned. We need to know that. They need to know that. There are 2 million people incarcerated in the United States. 2 million people. Not a single one of those image bearers was made, created, designed to live shackled, imprisoned, bound. We were made to be free. And you, if you are being harmed physically, bodily, here and now harmed in a relationship, in a system, in an environment, if you are being oppressed in any way by anyone, this is not who you were made to be. You are made to experience full freedom, like physical here and now freedom. And we have to start recognizing the political and social and economic and religious and physical subjugation that is happening all around us. Right? The New Testament tells us, Jesus tells us, that we are made to live free, free from oppression, free from subjugation, physically, bodily, free. And then there are these other ways, of course, that the New Testament talks about freedom, and it can be easy to miss, but the Bible actually talks a lot about living free from harmful religious systems. So many of us were given a harmful religious system in the Bible that we sometimes miss it, but the Bible talks a lot about living free from harmful religious systems, to live free of a kind of religion that produces anxiety, shame, and judgment. And I know, again, you're like, all that Bible did for me was give me anxiety, shame, and judgment. What the Bible talks a lot about living free of those things and from those religious systems. And a lot of times the language or kind of the metaphor that the Bible uses from freeing ourselves from that kind of uh, shame and judgment, that kind of religion, the metaphor the New Testament uses is the law. So Jesus shows up in a period of time, uh, it's called Second Temple Judaism, where there's this huge resurgence into the law. People, um, you know, just like in our culture, uh, where the pendulum kind of swings right and left, uh, in Jesus's moment in time, there's this huge resurgence where God's people are into following the law, like really, really into talking about the rules, how to follow the rules, how to make sure we get the rules right. The people were tired of all this disobedience from God and what that led to. And so religious leaders uh, create kind of a new system for being even more into the law. 
And the common practice of the day and the kind of common saying of the day was to build fences around the Torah. To build walls, fences around the important rules so that you didn't break those. So you, you built rules around the rules, around the rules, so that you never got to the really important rules to break them. Right? So one of God's laws is to keep the Sabbath holy. Right? That's an important one. Take a rest day. So to make sure that God's people in, the second, in second Temple Judaism, to make sure that they didn't break that law, they built a fence around that fence, around that fence. So they would say, we need to keep the Sabbath holy, and that's supposed to be a day of rest. And so what you should do is you shouldn't take more than 100 steps on the Sabbath. Right? That's just kind of a, a law around the law. And then, you know, while you're at it, just don't pick up more than 20 pounds. And that's kind of a law around the law, a fence around the fence to protect the thing. And you can't cook too much either because that's just, a, that's just let's just make sure you don't get too close to breaking the, the real important rule, right? There are all these fences to protect the rule. Build fences around the Torah. But like all religious systems that are more concerned with institutional preservation than individual protection, those fences they built around the law ultimately became an ideological prison for God's people. And that's exactly how Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 3. Paul says, We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. And you see, this, the law wasn't, uh, we weren't protecting the law, we were imprisoning ourselves. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. This is oppressive religious systems. And Paul is saying this oppressive religious system had us locked up, but we are made for freedom. This is the freedom that all of us are meant to live into, freedom from any kind of religion that produces anxiety, shame, or judgment. Right? So there's freedom from actual bodily, physical, here and now, oppression, imprisonment, and subjugation. Then there's freedom from oppressive religious systems. And then finally, there's freedom from sin is the last way the New Testament talks about freedom. You guys ready to talk about sin? I know you are. All right, so Romans 6, 18 says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Galatians 5, 13 says, for you have been called to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful desires. We are freed from sin. But what is sin and how do we live free of this sin? So mo most of us associate sin with personal misdeeds or mistakes of any kind. Right, kind of a moral unworthiness. Any mistake is a sin. And I got told over and over again kind of two ideas about sin, and maybe you did too. Right, the, the phrasing that got used for me is that sin is missing the mark. Anytime we miss the mark, we sin. And that when we miss the mark, when we make those mistakes, when we sin, then that sin moves us further away from God. That sin separates us from God, right? So we miss the mark, that missing the mark separates from us from God. But I don't think that's the right way to think about it, because I, I don't think, um, though, though I think sin and separateness can be put in the same conversation, I don't think our sin separates us from God, ever. I don't think any of our misdeeds, our mistakes, I, I don't think any of our missing the mark separates us from God, but we, we all make mistakes. We all miss the mark, but they don't move us further from God. 
the, the picture that we get from God in the Bible is I will never leave you or forsake you. Not if you make a mistake, I move further away. In the Bible, we only get God moving closer and closer. We don't get separated because we sin. We sin because we perceive or choose separateness. In this framework, sin is believed or chosen autonomy from God or others. I'll say it again. Sin is believed or chosen autonomy from God and others. Right? The great illusion that we all have to overcome is that we are separate at all. Right? That's how we end up sinning, is we have this idea in our mind that we are separate from one another, that we are separate from God at all. And Jesus comes as the great reconnector. He is our reconciler, as Paul says, right? modeling for us who we have always been made to be. Right? In the same way, our church, the church's primary task is to communicate union and to help everyone overcome that great illusion of separateness, right? We are hidden with Christ in God. That's what Paul says in Colossians chapter three, right? So in this kind of framework of sin, living free from sin isn't about avoiding mistakes or trying to live up from some kind of purity standards, because that devotion to purity, that devotion to certainty, it usually just ends up binding us more. It's not freedom. Living free from sin means reconnecting in a life of interdependence with God and with our community, we are not alone. Our, our actions affect other people. And we have this divine identity. Right? Freed from sin means not falling prey to the hamster wheel of certainty or purity, and instead living with a divine connection to God and others. That's real freedom. Right? The freedom that God wants for us, desires for us, is holistic, it's fully integrated, it's comprehensive, it's physical, and it's intellectual, and it's spiritual. And all three of these ideas, here and now, bodily freedom from harmful systems, freedom from religious systems that produce judgment or shame or anxiety, and freedom from sin, all three of those ideas, when you drill down into them, that freedom is about being free to be who you are made to be. No one else telling you who you are, no religious system telling you who you're supposed to be, a divine connection reminding you who you have always been. This freedom is ultimately about you being your unique, authentic, vulnerable self. Right? This is how we live free. We show up as our true selves. We unbind ourselves from the oppressive relationships or systems that we find ourselves in. We reconnect ourselves to a God who tells us who we are, and we show up as our true selves. So about three and a half years ago, before the church started, uh, about a dozen or so of our founding members met here in our unfinished building. Uh, we prayed together, and then we wrote all of our hopes and prayers uh, all over the walls of the church. We, we prayed together, and we wrote prayers like, God, I, I hope this is a place of healing. God, I hope you protect our kids. But right at the back door, when, where you walk in every week under at least a couple layers of paint, it says, we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And we honor that spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. We can only love others as much as we love ourselves. That's what you walk by, even if you don't know it, every week when you come here. And I love that from day like zero, we wanted you to show up as your unique 
true, free self. And I really believe that is how we live free, by showing up over and over and over again as our true selves and honoring, experiencing what happens inside those spiritual connections. And I've been reminded this week that I have always been pretty passionate about this idea about showing up in religious communities as our true vulnerable selves, about being as vulnerable and real as possible. It's always been an important thing in my preaching and my ministry, and it's definitely kind of a buzzy thing in church world, if you're a church kind of person, to be authentic, to be real, to have an accountability partner and tell them like every single thing that happens in your life. And I do think it's important to show up as your true self, but today I I thought I would offer a formal apology for some of my own teaching here and otherwise. And I also want to apologize on behalf of other religious leaders today. Too often myself and others have required authenticity and vulnerability without prioritizing safety. Church leaders have told you that you need to be honest, but we haven't always created an environment where when you are honest, you get to be safe. I shouldn't have preached vulnerability before I preach safety. I got the order wrong, and I'm sorry that, it, that you have maybe been kept from real freedom in religious spaces because myself or because someone else told you to be honest, but they didn't keep it safe. That's not freedom. Right? This is how we live free. We show up as our true selves. We unbind ourselves from oppressive relationships, oppressive systems, and we reconnect ourselves to God. We show up as our true selves. And I commit to you to value safety, to prioritize safety, so that you are able to be fully free. So for you, are you living free? Do you feel free? Is that a word that that resonates with you at all? Or do you think there is not a single part of my life where I'm feeling free right now? And of these three ideas, right, kind of physical here and now, freedom, Freedom from religious systems or from religious shame or anxiety. Freedom from sin. Where do you need the most freedom? In one of those ideas, does something pop out to you? Is there a relationship or a system that is oppressing you currently that you need to get out of? Is there a religious system or or a way of thinking about God that is causing you shame or anxiety right now? And do you feel divinely connected with God and others? Or do you perceive a separateness? And then how can you better show up as your true self? Now, I wonder if you have any spaces where you can do that. Any single space where you say, you know, when I get there, I am myself. When I get At the end of the day, with my partner, I am myself. Or when I show up with my therapist, I get to finally be myself. Is there any space where you can be your true self? This is how we live free. We show up as our true selves. We unbind ourselves from oppressive relationships, oppressive systems. We connect ourselves back to God and to others. Very early on at Gather, Uh, Katie and I would have people over, we would go to dinner, go to drinks, and we would talk to people about this church uh, that we were starting, and sometimes folks would say uh, things like, well, I don't know about committing to a church 
you know, I had this really bad experience at church. I had a really bad experience at the hands of church leaders. I had this pain. I had this trauma. And sometimes they would tell us that because we told them about our experience first. But they, they would kind of share their experience of their own religious pain, religious trauma. And uh, Katie kept responding in the same way a few meetings in a row, I remember. She would say something like, uh, yeah, maybe you shouldn't go to church for a while. And at first it was like, hey, uh, we, are try- we are trying to recruit right now. And uh, we have like 11 total people at our church, so if you could be cool. Uh, but she would say to these folks, it's okay, you know, it's okay to not go to church for a little bit. It's okay to take a break. Uh, maybe just don't go for six months and don't even worry about it. And just in six months, see how you feel. And after a few meetings where I watched her say this while I was kind of internally freaking out, after a few times, I realized what she was doing is that she was freeing people. She definitely wasn't selling, like I was hoping, but she was freeing people, freeing them from religious anxiety, right? God is okay. God is okay if you don't go to church. Freeing them from their perceived ideas about being separated from God, right? God is okay if you don't go to church because God doesn't just exist inside of a sanctuary. She just kept freeing people over and over again. And if you find or feel any sense of freedom today, it's time to start freeing somebody else. Tell somebody they were never and have never and will never be separated from God. Tell somebody that they don't have to live with religious anxiety or shame. Tell someone that they were created for freedom, that they weren't meant to be bound and shackled, that no one is meant to be bound and shackled. If you feel or find some type of freedom, it's time to free somebody else, to look somebody in the eye, even if it's yourself, and say, you were made for freedom. So gather, this is my prayer for us today. Be reminded that the rest of us need you to live free. We need your unique and beautiful self. We won't be who we are meant to be, without you living as you were made to be. You are free. This is who you are. May it be so. Amen. Uh, We're going to participate in a couple moments of silence and reflection. There will be a couple breath prayers on the screen, and then I'll come back in just a moment and lead us through our gospel proclamation.
gather hear this good news. You were created by God and God calls you good. You are loved by God and God calls you child. You were rescued by God and God calls you holy. And by the power of God, through Jesus Christ, you are loved, forgiven, and free. Created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. This is who you are. This is the fundamental truth of your identity. Whether you feel it or not, you belong to God from eternity to eternity. Thanks be to God. Amen. Gather. Go in peace.